Jen, so much. It's such a gift to be able to experience different expressions of worship in a way that we're, we're made with our whole bodies. We have five senses. We have an opportunity to, to praise God with everything. And I'm reminded of that, that passage in uh, Psalms, the last Psalm 150, where David is just going through all of the different instruments. Praise God with the cymbals and the tambourine. And the, he just keeps going down the list and to praise God with dancing. And, and I love that we've been able to do this for the last uh, few weeks, so just being able to, to experiment and even be surprised by the way that God can show up in these different expressions of worship. Uh, it's it's um, something I've been thinking about is that there's, there's t- far too few places where we're allowed to, to mourn and to dance, not including weddings and funerals, but I, I think we need more opportunities for for places where we can actually mourn and we can dance and celebrate. So, uh, Jen, without getting into you know, the, the interpretation of what you've done, can you maybe share with us a little bit of your creative process leading up to what you've just shared with us? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks so much, Quincy. Yeah. So, as you know, we're in a story of Colossians right now. And for me, Colossians really stands out just the supremacy of Christ and the invitation to focus on Christ. And so when it was first launched, this idea that I would dance as part of the Colossians series, I searched all kinds of songs and came to the song, Be Thou My Vision, as really well describing the focus on Jesus. And that's why I chose the song. And the recording team, our music team, recorded that beautiful music that you just heard. Rachel sang that beautiful lyric that I danced to. And that was the original intent. But as we recorded it, and as I marinate in the song to create these movements and to literally have the music be in every fiber of my being, what really stood out to me was joy. And I honestly got scared for all of us because I was afraid, because in this moment right now when I dance, I want to be 100% in the moment with Jesus, like present with Jesus. And my mind for the last two weeks has been a bit struggling that, dear Jesus, um, we were going to like focus on you, but like joy, like uh, don't you know what's going on in our church, in our country, in our globe? Like this is a tough time. And is joy the right message? And then what he showed me through this dance, and I didn't, you know, when you know a song and you love a song for years and years and years, you don't necessarily hear every word, but when you marinate in it and dance it out, you realize this song speaks to the intimacy with Jesus. Like he's our great father, we're his child. We are in him, he's in us. And that is like an amazing mystery, a beautiful union that words just can't really quite even express, which is why I'm sort of happy to even try to give it more than words with dance. But in that intimacy, we find out that there's joy, that Jesus himself, his personhood, is joy and love and hope and peace, but even joy. And so bravely here, I've celebrated, even like a little girl twirling my skirt, just really being able to celebrate that Jesus is that good, he's that wonderful, he's that loving, that we can even have joy in him, even in the times that we're in. So... I hope that that's been meaningful to your souls. And thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you so much, Jen. We receive the gift that you've been given. We receive it and we thank you for it. God bless you.
I just want to say thank you to everyone who helped bring the dance to the stage. When I'm at home, the art is personal, but when I come to the stage, the art is community. It's you watching this, but it's also the whole team behind the scenes that I'm so grateful for, and thank you for the body of Christ. You guys are amazing. Colossians chapter 4. Verse 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We're three weeks into our study of Colossians, and as we've heard, this is Paul uh, writing a letter to the church in Colossae, a church that he would have, he didn't start, he didn't plant this church, and he would never get an opportunity to visit this church. And here he is, he's locked up, with his uh, ragtag group of guys that are locked up with him, both Jews and Gentiles. And he's writing to this community, uh, this, this church community, which as a number of them are starting to emerge around, they, they all share this marker of being a group of kind of misfits, uh, a group of people that don't necessarily belong together. Uh, rich and poor, Jews, Gentiles, men and women, all uh, focused around this kingdom ethic that's centered on selflessness and love that would be completely contrary to the, uh, the way of empire, which would be uh, motivated by fear and greed, uh, very self-serving. And in this letter, he, Paul, sends this uh, time of deciphering these mysteries of Christ, this idea that we looked at last week of, of Christ being in us and us being in Christ. He challenges the traditional modes of authority that would be between men and women and children and their parents and even masters and slaves. It's a powerful teaching that he has. He's got this mind-blowing theology that that says, if you want to really know and understand what God is like, if you really want to get a picture of who God is, look to Jesus. Jesus will give you the perfect picture of God's heart and what he's like. It's powerful teachings, packed completely to the brim with all kinds of good, juicy morsels, tasty nuggets, and... He's coming to the end of his letter, and as he's wrapping up, one of the pieces that he gives to his people, the most practical piece of advice that he can give, he's talked about all of these, these lofty ideas and, and this fantastic theology, and he's building up, building up, and here he is now about to give these final instructions for his people. And what does he instruct his people to do? He says, devote yourselves to prayer. And for me, that... that I'll have to admit, it feels a little bit anticlimactic. It feels like there should be, there should be more. There should be more that, that we're asked to do. Um, 
Let's get busy doing something that seems like it's not enough. I know that I've had a number of challenges, as all of us have over the past two years in, in moving into this pandemic or living in this pandemic. I like the expression that we're all kind of in the same storm, but we're in different boats. So it's, all, it's kind of affected us all very differently. But for me, one of the challenges uh, has been, how do you care for people? I like to be in people's space, and, and if someone has a need, I like to be there and, and do everything that I can to serve and to help out. And in this season, especially early on, I couldn't do that. So as I'm finishing up in conversations with people or sending an email, I would say, sorry, I can't do anything. I can't really help, but I can pray. And when I would say those words in my heart, it would almost be like an apology. And not because I'm a good Canadian guy who just says sorry all the time, everything. Like, that's what we do. We just say sorry for, like, for whatever. But, the, but, I'm, but I actually felt apologetic that all I, I'm sorry, all I can do is pray. It's, it's a measly offering. And, and I'm a, I'm a, a pastor. Like, 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 we need to believe in these things. Like, the power of prayer is incredible, can move mountains. But here I am thinking so little of it, and I'm... I'm talking to people like it's just uh, lacks power. It's a disappointing feeling. And maybe it's because this whole sentiment of thoughts and prayers has started to feel cheap and almost meaningless. Like when there's a mass shooting or a natural disaster and you see it on your social media, you're scrolling through and someone says, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers. And it almost feels like a throwaway line. It's almost dismissive and condescending to the real pain that's being experienced by people. Maybe the reason it's becoming offensive to say it is because it's, it's actually a way for us to ignore a situation as opposed to doing something about it, as opposed to taking any action. But our thoughts and our prayers should be an act of what we're willing to do and not an excuse for what we're not willing to do. But if we actually do take the time to pray for others and we lift them up to encourage them, I think we'll be amazed at what we see. We'll be amazed at the result of that. A really small example, but I think it's a powerful example still, is I can't count the amount of times where, where I've been going on with my day and someone will come to my mind. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're just sitting, and for no reason, you, maybe nothing's happened, no one said anything, but someone will just pop into your mind. And I wish I, I, wish I could say that I do it every time. I don't. But in the times I do, ah, maybe that person needs needs a word of encouragement or just a, a little pick-me-up, a boost. Father, bless this person. Hope they're having a great day, that they would feel your presence. Amen. And keep it moving. And then sometimes I'll even uh, send a text message or an email to that person. Hey, I'm thinking about you in this moment. I hope you're well. God bless. Hit send. And the amount of times that that comes back to say, Quincy, you didn't realize what I was going through in that very moment or you, you, you were able to, to give me the little bit of encouragement that I needed right in that moment. See, 
if you spend any amount of time in church circles, you realize that we like to talk about prayer more than we actually do pray. Or we like to talk about God more than we actually talk to God. So I want to give us an opportunity to do that right now. Just a, a few moments of silence. I just want us to, to think of a person, somebody you know. They don't necessarily have to be going through a difficult time right now, but just think of that person right now. You have them in your mind? Can you see them? It's a reason that they've been brought to your imagination in this moment. So let's pray for them. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this person. I thank you for the, the fact that you've brought them to mind in the way that you have. I'm grateful for them. And in this moment, I pray that they would experience peace and power. Thanks again for them, God. Amen. Simple. Now, if you have their, their information, if you uh, have their email or their text, okay, yeah, now you can do it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, pull out your phone. This is not normal where you would pull out a phone in the church service. I hope my kids aren't here. I tell them all the time to keep their phones away. Get your phone out. Send a quick text message. Just say, thinking about you, praying for you. Peace. To pray is a sign of dependency. It's a sign of humility. To pray is to trust God that he sees us and that he hears us. When my nephew was born, he had all kinds of health issues, all kinds of health issues, and had some of the best doctors in the world caring for him and looking after him. And after a number of surgeries and, and complications and things that looked hopeful and then not so hopeful, uh, the head doctor came uh, to our family and said, we don't expect him to survive the next three or four days, so you should make your arrangements. So in our minds, we had three or four days to do what? We prayed without a guarantee or assuredness that we would have an answer or that things would work out the way we wanted to, but we prayed. Some of us on our face, we prayed to God that he would take the situation. If we realized we have so little control, so little control in this world, in this life, but to just allow it to be in God's hands. And without a guarantee, without knowing what would come next, I'm, I'm pleased to say that this summer we get to celebrate his fourth birthday, which is something that we, we celebrate. But that's not, that's not the guarantee that that would work out in that way. But, but something happened in that meantime, in between time of us coming together and trusting and putting all of everything, that, all of our cares on God. We're facing difficult times, very difficult times, as a nation, as a country, as 
uh, society, as a church family. And more difficult times are ahead of us, I believe. But what would happen if we, if we prayed for our church and really believed that something would happen? I'm reminded of that story in, uh, in Acts chapter 12 where Peter's released from prison. You know that one? Where the saints are praying for him to be released. They're praying for him to be released and he gets released miraculously. He shows up at the door, knocks on the door. The servant girl comes and says, hey, Peter, it's you. And she runs back to say, hey, guess what? While they're praying, she interrupts their praying to say Peter's at the door. And they tell her she's crazy. <laughs> they, tell her, they tell her, what are you talking about? You're out of your mind. What would happen if, if, we, if we prayed and we actually believed that God could answer these prayers? Where our imagination can be sparked and it can be inspired. That it can actually connect us with the mind and the will of God. Colossians chapter three, verse one says that we should set our minds on things above. Not to say that we become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, but that by setting our minds in the direction of Jesus, even if our circumstances don't change or, secret, or, or they don't pan out in the way that we wish that they would, that somehow we would be changed in the process. Changed in the way that we love and we live. We're actually most awake when our eyes are closed that we're actually most awake when our eyes are closed. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. These words fall loosely from our lips. When chaos is outside our door or it beats its drum in our chest, we say, all we can do is pray. When you are confessing that the world has a hold on you today, when you are believing it more than you should, when it is especially dark and you can only make out the silhouettes of the hardest parts of being human, sometimes we are so human it hurts. And even our best words fail to help. But there is another lexicon that we can find, a dictionary where every word is a synonym for love, where prayer does not live only as a noun, but it becomes a verb. It is something to follow. Our thoughts and prayers are something to follow. Let our prayers claim us as descendants. Let us know their family tree when the world has tied our tongues with sadness, covered us in ourselves, told us to see people as other instead of our sisters or our brothers, when it has taken the word justice from our vocabulary, said that it is not worth something worth fighting for, when it makes dividing lines bigger than the Rocky Mountain Range, when all this human just knocks us to our knees, we will know that that is exactly where we need to be. Hands folded, book open. Our hearts may be full of break, but at the foot of the Father, and his son, with our eyes closed, that's when we are most awake. Paul has the opportunity 
to share with his people. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, but also pray for me. Now, Paul is locked up. This isn't the first time he's been in jail. And the stakes are as high as they possibly could be, where he would be witness to people being executed for their faith and for sharing the gospel. And, and Paul says, all right, pray for me. I know 100% if I were in Paul's position what I would be praying for. Get me out of here. Release, escape, I need to get out. Some sort of miraculous um, jailbreak is what I would be praying for. And that wouldn't be too far off from Paul's imagination. He's seen these things happen in his life. Miraculous jailbreaks. I mentioned one already with Peter, how, how the angel came and just uh, blew open the doors and he had the, the holy escort right out, the, right out of the gates. And, and Paul would remember a time when he was, was locked up and around midnight, him and Silas just started singing worship songs and an earthquake comes and all of the doors fly open of the prison. But Paul, Paul's an interesting one because he doesn't do what I would do in that situation and run, <laughs> get out. But he stops and has a conversation with the, with the jailer. He stops and, and, and shares the, the good news of Jesus with him and invites him into relationship with Christ. And instead of a prison break, uh, a baptism breaks out <laughs> right there in the, in the prison. So Paul isn't looking for uh, an escape plan. He didn't see his time in prison locked up as a sign of defeat, but he saw it more as an opportunity to be able to partner in with what God was trying to do with him. So in the letter to the church in Colossae, he doesn't ask for any kind of escape, but he asks for opportunity. So I'm both, I'm baffled by this, but I'm also a little bit inspired by this, if I'm honest. Because so much of our life is focused on trying to avoid any kind of discomfort. I loved what our artist friend Amanda said last week when she was breaking down her piece. She said, Jesus is here to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. I love that and I hate it at the same time because I think of the times in my life or how much of my life is centered and built around comfort. What are the hard things that you're asking for release? The things maybe that we're praying for that God would give us an escape plan or break us out when there may possibly, there could possibly be an invitation to actually lean into that space, to risk being a little uncomfortable and see what God has in store for us. That we would see an opportunity instead of an escape. That we would see an opportunity instead of an escape. How to pray in five easy steps. One, remove the belief from your eyes that only sight can bring clarity. Take the miraculous into account. 
the heart has been known to draw far better pictures than our mind could ever fathom. Like the way a heart is also a cross, like a father who gave his only son. Two, touch your heart with your hand and now bow deeply, but in here. It's like kneeling to touch something delicate or laying your body full length prostrate to make the path to Santiago. Three, let your hands meet in connection this way, but also this way, because this commute is the shortest distance you will ever travel. Four, notice your feet. What are they planted on? Where are they taking you? Are you numbering your steps or are you running to get somewhere? Be sure to consult your map. Five, fold your mind into the shape of open, like a palm up flame ready for the burn of assignment. It is, a, it is not a where will you take me or what will you give me? It is a who will you send me for? That question is never a mistake. The way to pray is always for opportunity, but never for escape. Let's pray. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.